Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of The Dissenter. I'm your host, as always, Ricardo Lopes, and today I'm joined for a second time by Dr. Philippe Nobrefaria. He currently works as a researcher in ethics and political philosophy at the Institute for Philosophy of the Nova University of Lisbon. And today we're going to focus on his book, The Evolutionary Limits of Liberalism, Democratic Problems, Market Solutions, and the Ethics of Preference Satisfaction. So, Dr. Nobrefaria, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much, Ricardo. It's a pleasure to be here again, and uh, hopefully this will be uh, fruitful. <laughs> yeah, sure. By the way, I really love the book. I've been waiting to interview you for the last three years or so since the book came <laughs> out. But yeah, it is what it is. But thank you for writing it anyway. I know. You have a long list of... of, um, of uh, um, of the people to 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 interview so I, I understand it and they're they're all good so <laughs> there's a good reason for that well thank you so tell us first then what is what would you say is basically the premise of the book what are you trying to explore here right so the the basic premise of the book is um, or the, 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 main, the main question of the book is, is liberalism sustainable? And by liberalism here, we mean the liberal paradigm, right? Um, our, our, our models, it's, it's the liberal paradigm in, in political and social terms. Uh, of course, I focus more on the political side of it, but everything is included. So the question really is, um, can liberalism last? Uh, is this a sustainable model? Can we actually um, uh, maintain the system for the foreseeable future? And um, so the, the, my, 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 my answer is essentially no, that liberalism um, does not have, from an evolutionary perspective, liberalism has many problems that or many maladaptive tendencies that make it um, maladaptive in the long run. So um, I, I don't present um, normative solutions to this problem. My intention was to identify certain problems with liberalism uh, in order for us to think about it and so the, 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 main, the main problem with liberalism is that it is not conducive to um, reproductive fitness. So it tends to have um, uh, a detrimental effect on reproductive rates. Um, and it is also not co um, conducive to social cohesion. It has um, um, problematic effects on the cohesion of societies. Uh, and groups cannot cohere around the values of liberalism, which are more atomizing. So the, the, the critique that liberalism is atomizing is not necessarily new, but what I try to do in this, in this book is to uh, explain from an evolutionary scientific perspective uh, why liberalism is problematic and will probably not uh, last in the long run. 
Okay, but just to be clear, uh, how do you define liberalism? Or at least what would you say are the main tenets of liberalism you focus on in, and, do you think, and that you think have the most impact uh, from an evolutionary perspective? Right, right. So, of course, to define liberalism is always a, a, a contentious um, activity. But I guess that there is some, so there's, uh, liberalism ha is, there are some, some, some tenets of liberalism that I think are consensual. Mm -hmm. So the main one is that it, it focuses on individuals. Um, every time there is a tension between what is good for the individual and what is good for the group or what is good for the community, liberalism tends to favor the individual it focuses on the individual the individual is uh, its moral unit so to speak uh, so that is uh, extremely important that's why it is seen as an individualistic philosophy um, then of course there is the question of state neutrality which is the idea that um, the state or the community cannot impose a way of life on individuals, that individuals should be free to pursue their own way of life. And therefore, um, if the state or the community um, engages in, 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 in the promotion or the enforcement of a particular way of life, that is illegitimate according to, to liberalism. Um, so I think that the, these, these tenets are somehow consensual. Uh, so of course, then, then uh, we have all the more technical aspects, like in liberal systems, we have separation of powers. The idea is to contain power so that nobody uh, has uh, too much power precisely to prevent the imposition of a particular way of life. Um, and uh, and uh, so ultimately, in a nutshell, liberalism is i would say is about the maximization of individual liberty and equality it is a universal uh philosophy so it does not distinguish between uh individuals at the formal level um and um yeah and it's it's it, it tries to apply that um in politics and in in uh social morality Mm -hmm. Do you also try to understand where the ideology of liberalism comes from? I mean, I'm not sure if it has some sort of biological basis to it or if it's just cultural, but where does it come from? Well, that's a good question. Um, where does it come from? Well, historically, um, it came together with the Enlightenment, right? So... Um, this is where we begin to talk about liberalism, where it takes form, where where the the specific the the, the canonical uh, liberal um, writers uh, appear, like John Locke, Kant, etc. Um, so it definitely starts at that particular point. So it, liberalism is is somehow the 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 winning. Uh, it's the winner of, of of modernity. So modernity is not necessarily the same as liberalism, but liberalism is definitely the the um, the political philosophy 
that um, that won, that prevailed, um, and that is certainly attached to uh, to the Enlightenment. So one could say that liberalism is the 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 moral dimension of the Enlightenment, even though those are separate entities. We can have a, a, an illiberal Enlightenment, and we can have a liberal uh, a, a liberal Enlightenment. But definitely, liberalism came attached with with the Enlightenment. Uh, so. Uh, does it have any biological basis? Well, um, I guess it does because everything has a biological basis. Um, so we know that uh, um, that liberalism um, is very much attached to um, Protestant uh, Protestant personality. So people that adhere to Protestantism, uh, again, like Locke, Kant, etc. Um, uh, so we know that. We know that. Uh, it, it was a way to contain religious wars, um, and uh, it it probably served the interests of, of of some groups. So in this case, it could be the bourgeoisie, it could be um, um, the, the 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 religiosity of Protestantism. Um, so there are definitely interests uh, or tendencies behind the the birth of of liberalism, but it can go it can go deeper. I mean, if if liberalism is an offshoot of Christianity, then perhaps liberalism started way back two thousand years ago, and uh, and it developed from that point onwards. Yeah, uh, what would you say, politically speaking, are some of the main opposing ideologies, the ones that oppose liberalism? For example, in the book, uh, you talk about communitarianism. Could you tell us about it and perhaps some other ideologies that you think are opposed to liberalism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um... So the, the usually so communitarianism is not really an ideology. Um, communitarianism uh, came about as a, a, um, a criticism of liberalism. So communitarian authors, and uh, here I'm thinking about authors that sometimes don't even um, call themselves communitarian, but Michael Sandel, Michael Walzer, and and others. Um, so there was there was this 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 criticism of liberalism um, that essentially the, the main criticism was that uh, liberalism didn't take into account the importance of the community mm -hmm. um, and that liberal and because of that uh, liberalism um, was atomizing uh, it made people unhappy in many in in, in many different ways so the the, the the critique of liberalism, the communitarian critique of liberalism, is 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 complex, but it ultimately boils down to the idea that uh, we are. It goes back to Aristotle. Essentially, we are social creatures. We are social animals. Uh, we cannot understand ourselves as individuals uh, before the community. So the community comes first. Only then we are already born into communities. We are products of communities. We cannot see ourselves primarily as individuals um, and uh, if we see ourselves primarily as individuals that has um, that brings many problems atomization is is, is is probably the main one but it brings many problems uh, that then we cannot address precisely because we are going against our uh, social nature 
or we are um, uh, running against it, so to speak. So the, the, yes, but but then again, um, so but the communitarianism is this is is this critique. Um, but communitarianism, we, we can find it in many uh, political philosophies or ideologies. We can find it in conservatism. Conservatism is communitarian. We can find it in fascism. We can find it, find it in um, types of socialism. Um, we can find it in, in several uh, ideologies that, um, that focus on, on the community, that, that, that uh, uh, are ready to sacrifice certain... Uh, individual liberties for the good of the community so they they go back to to um to a, a more classical uh, political philosophy that we find in ancient greece which was uh, inherently communitarian mm -hmm. so satisfying individual preferences is a big topic here i think and in the book you go through two of the main contenders we have now free markets and liberal democracies but before we get into what distinguishes them uh, do you think it's also important uh, in the context of your book to understand or try to understand where individual preferences come from how they develop mm -hmm. yeah so in the book the question of individual preferences is important because um i think that one of the defining features of liberalism is that people should be free to satisfy their preferences. Mm -hmm. um, there are, uh, of course, variations within, within this, um, this sphere, but I think that most liberals would feel comfortable with this idea that liberalism, um, as long, so to, 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 to the extent that it is possible, liberalism should facilitate what I call the liberal satisfaction of preferences. People should be free to satisfy their preferences. Um, and, and what I do in this, in this book is I analyze the, the evolutionary impact that this, um, this moral, um, this, 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 this goal of, of trying um, trying to make people satisfy their preferences freely. Um, I try to understand what this, this goal actually does in evolutionary terms. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that is why it is important to talk about uh, uh, individual preferences and this uh, ethic of allowing people to satisfy their preferences freely. Um, uh, but but going 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 back to your question, um, so you 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 asked uh, where do I think preferences come from, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Um, well, uh, preferences come from from two two uh, big um, dimensions. One is a biological one, so we have propensions to to have certain preferences, yeah. and another one is cultural. It comes from our, the, the social norms that we have, the incentives that we have, socially speaking, and these two combined will shape our 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 preferences. Mm. Um, so, in a way, I'm appealing to gene culture coevolution that preferences will come from the combination of these of these two elements. And what I what I found important in this book 
is that there have there 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 have been critics of of liberalism and of liberal democracy in general mm-hmm. um, that focus on the problems of liberal democracy and how a liberal democracy cannot satisfy people's preferences because of many 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 reasons we'll, we'll probably talk about these reasons afterwards it's, these are essentially problems of, of of collective action that we cannot solve uh, collective action problems within liberal democracy and so we cannot satisfy our preferences um and and ultimately um there 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 are attempts to solve this issue by by um trying to create other systems like for instance free markets um systems that allow us to satisfy our preferences better and what i'm saying is that from an evolutionary perspective uh, to let people free to be, to let them be free to satisfy their preferences in any way they want to is actually maladaptive mm-hmm. so to 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 um, to allow people to um to choose freely without framing their preferences is actually maladaptive and and because uh liberalism um regardless of the method we were talking about whether it is more uh, um, whether we want to focus on a liberal democracy or we want to focus on markets regardless of the mechanism uh what is what seems to be problematic is the liberal satisfaction of preferences is this ethic that is uh, tightly connected to liberalism that will then uh, lead to to maladaptive uh, behaviors but we'll we'll talk about that later on yes sure so in what ways would you say free markets differ from liberal democracies when it comes to their capacity of uh, satisfying individual uh, preferences what do you, what would you say are some of the limitations that perhaps liberal democracies have and possibly also free markets right uh so um within public choice theory and public choice theory is is a, a way of 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 studying uh politics uh from a rational choice perspective um using economic tools and applying these economic tools to the study of of uh behavior in in politics so what's what many what what's if if we talk to to several uh political economists and here for instance i'm thinking about uh jason brannan that who 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 wrote uh, against democracy the book against democracy where uh where essentially he lists all the problems of liberal democracies um that uh, we find from a, a rational choice perspective so for instance the principal agent problem uh, the principal agent problem is a problem that is a problem of representation there are principles in this case the the voters or the citizens and then there are agents the politicians and uh, uh the problem here is that the agents the politicians have way more knowledge way more power than um um the principles than the voters mm-hmm. uh, and so the voters the the uh, so the 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 the, the policies that are enacted are much more uh, a result of uh, the politicians preferences than the results of the voters preferences um then we have the the, the for instance uh, rational ignorance because we live in these mass democracies 
uh, it is actually rational to be ignorant about politics. Uh, it doesn't pay off to to um, invest in, in in knowledge about politics because our vote will if, will basically not decide any major election. We can vote left, right, center, whatever. Uh, it will not make a difference in the end. Uh, those results that we see um, on the television uh, after the elections, those percentages, they will not be affected by our our vote. So we can stay at home, <laughs> or if if we like to vote, we can go there and vote. That's that's fine. It will not change the outcome, and those percentages will not will not change because we go or we we stay at home, right? So to be very informed about politics. Um, from this instrumental perspective is completely useless. It's, it's pointless to be informed about, about politics because we will not um, influence anything. Um, so then there is even rational rationality, uh, which, which is something even worse than rational ignorance. Rational rationality is the idea that uh, we, not, we are not only ignorant, but we think that we know things. So we are not just uh, ignorant about politics, but we are, but we feel strong. We have strong feelings about it, and we we think we actually know. And so we we go and we vote, um, and we even though we are terribly um, wrong and we are um, terribly ignorant about politics, we are completely motivated to go there. So there's this irrationality behind behind the process that uh, will make us um, choose uh, bad policies over and over again. And then, of course, there's rent-seeking. Rent-seeking is this, uh, this um, idea that there are always uh, uh, actors in politics that are well-placed. They are usually small and well-organized, and they can uh, they are very well-informed about policies because it concerns them directly. And they will uh, invest in getting what they what, what they want. These small uh, interest groups they can solve their collective action problems much better than the masses. The masses are too atomized for that. Um, and and so these these small small um, interest groups will eventually get the policies that they want. And so they will concentrate the benefits on themselves. And they will um spread the costs on 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 the citizens on everyone else and mm -hmm. the citizens uh, cannot do much to to stop this process so liberal democracies are problematic in so many ways um from this point of view that um that uh, uh, it is widely acknowledged that uh, the voters uh, cannot really um, satisfy their preferences very well because there are all these problems attached to democracies. And so uh, people like James Buchanan uh, and others, um, they are liberals and they try to uh, solve this problem by saying we should make less choices via um, liberal democracy, we should make more choices via markets. Uh, we should, because when we when we're buying and selling things, we are essentially um, we are close to our decisions. We are close to the products, and um, and we are responsible for what we buy and for what we spend. 
Um, so there's there's the, the rationality behind the market process is higher, according to this logic, is higher than in liberal democracies. In liberal democracies, we see uh, irrationality um, in 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 uh, in many dimensions, but but above all, uh, people don't really uh, satisfy uh, their preferences, especially their uh, well-informed preferences, which is what I guess we would we would like to. Right. But where do free markets fail exactly? Because, I mean, I would imagine that free markets are also not perfect when it comes to satisfying people's individual preferences or are they? Right. Um, so, of course, in economics, there's something called market failure, but I don't think I don't think that you're referring to that exactly. Uh, I think you're you're more referring to where markets fail um, when it comes to uh, satisfying people's preferences. Mm -hmm. uh, even though we have market failures in economics, yeah, market failures are also connected to that, perhaps, but perhaps it's not so so evident. Um, so I guess that, that uh, where markets fail to satisfy people's preferences, well, it starts with a very basic um, basic point, which is if you don't have money to buy whatever you want, you cannot buy it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, and of course, uh, these classical liberals, they acknowledge that, but they, they, they say, look, but before you criticize markets for that, take a look at the alternative that you're suggesting, which is liberal democracy. Mm -hmm. um, is it better? Uh, and they say, no, it is not. Because look, uh, yes, it's true that um, in, the, in the marketplace, uh, we only have a certain amount of money and we can only buy a certain amount of things. Uh, and, but but, but your, your uh, euros, they still count. One euro is one euro for, for every single person. Uh, while the vote, the vote, individually speaking, really cannot decide anything and if you cannot decide anything then one euro in the market uh, is still more powerful than one vote in 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 liberal democracies uh so what they're saying is that we should be fair when we are comparing things we should uh, before we criticize markets we should look at at the other side like uh i think it, it was gordon tulog that said something like uh, um uh, uh, wait until every single uh, singer uh, sings uh, uh, until and, until all of them sing. Don't don't just criticize the first one because he got out of tune. Just check if the other ones sing better. Um, and 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 um, and this is the same. Uh, this is what they're saying about um, markets and and liberal democracy when it comes to uh, making choices. They say, yeah, markets have problems. They will not satisfy the preferences of people. Uh, entirely, but they are still more efficient than liberal democracies. Liberal democracies really cannot satisfy anyone's preferences, at least from an individual perspective. Hmm. And can free markets be democratic? Uh, yes, I guess that these authors, um, these classical liberal authors that advocate for, for, for this um, for 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 giving more um, uh, more decision making to the market, 
they actually think that there is a type of democracy in the market, yes. Um, that uh, we can all buy and sell things, what, whatever we want. Um, and uh, and those the choices that we make are real choices. They have real consequences. Um, and that is actually better than the one vote that we have in liberal democracy, because that one vote doesn't have any consequence. So they actually claim that uh, markets uh, have a stronger democratic element than liberal democracy per se. Right. But I mean, here, when we distinguish between free markets and liberal democracies when it comes to their capacity of fulfilling people's uh, individual preferences or satisfying them, uh, I mean, you're not saying necessarily that they are, I mean, in, in societies, in countries across the globe, that they are mutually exclusive, right? Because I, there are many societies, I wouldn't say perhaps most, but many societies out there who, where people live, politically speaking, in liberal democracies. And, of course, that idea of having a completely free market, it's perhaps a myth because the markets are always regulated to some extent, but we have a bit of both still. Right. Right. And just like, well, just like every single discussion, uh, I guess that um, this is a matter of having more of something and or, or less of something. Uh, it is not about absolutes. Uh, right. Um, so even people that defend free markets um, or at least these people in particular, James Buchanan and Gordon Tulloch and these public choicers, um, these classical liberals, um, of course, what, 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 what they say is that, yes, we should have a social contract, we should have uh, a type, uh, some, some sort of democracy at the political level, but, uh, but we have so many different preferences uh, and we are so many that we are much better off leaving most of our decisions to the market and only what the market cannot solve adequately we should leave to uh to politics um so yes you are you are you are right this is a matter of degree so we are of course using using ideal types here pushing more in one direction or in the other direction but i guess it's most people uh would um would say that uh yes well and liberal democracies also have markets or free markets or largely free markets. So sometimes people actually find it strange because they think that liberal democracies uh, are systems that already include markets. So why are we choosing one over the other? And and yes, it's true. It's true that um, that uh, uh, they, they come as a combo. Uh, it's just a matter of understanding if we want to leave more decisions for um, politics or more decisions uh, for the market. Right. So before we talk a little bit more about some of the evolutionary shortcomings of liberalism and comparing it to perhaps other uh, alternative ideologies, uh, why is it that you, in the book, you choose the working within a framework of multi-level selection? Why multi-level selection and not just 
let's say, adopting a so-called gene's eye view of evolution or tackling things just from an individual selection perspective, for example? Right. Um, that's a good, a good question. So when we, um, when we uh, decide to approach this problem from an evolutionary perspective, uh, we must follow um, the standard models in evolutionary theory. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think that there is a tension at all between multi-level selection and the, the gene eye view uh, or inclusive fitness. Um, I do think that they are different perspectives of the same phenomenon. Um, and, and, and this is, this is not even that contentious, and even though there are some people that still fight, uh, in terms of, um, group selection versus, versus, uh, inclusive fitness, or I don't think that that is a very interesting debate anymore. And, and, and at least according to some, to some evidence, um, and to some polls, uh, most, uh, evolutionary thinkers these days. Uh, see these models in terms of equivalence, uh, that there is an equivalence between all these models. Um, and so the model that you choose, uh, at least from my perspective, the model that I choose is, I think, the model that can use the simplest language. Uh, and it is the model that I think um, can enlighten people better uh, that covers all the necessary elements for us to understand the phenomenon that we're studying. And that is the reason why I chose multi-level selection. So I can explain what multi-level selection is. Uh, sure. Multi-level selection theory is a, is, is a form of group selection. So it's the idea that natural selection operates uh, at several levels. So for instance, the gene, uh, the individual, groups of individuals, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that uh, um, uh, a multi-level selection uh, tries to understand the forces between individuals and groups and tries to understand uh, when, um, when is the case that individuals um, uh, beat uh, groups and when groups beat individuals. So, and the logic here is that uh, groups that are cooperative, cohesive, altruistic uh, internally uh, will beat groups that have uh, more individualistic elements, more self-interested elements, egoistic elements that cannot cooperate so well. So this this is the main the main tenet. And of course, then there are we can integrate inclusive fitness into it. Also, um, I, I I didn't do it in in my thesis. But um, it, it actually um, uh, Williams um, uh, uh, William Hamilton uh, he mm -hmm. actually thought at, at, a, at a certain point of, of his life that inclusive fitness was a type of group selection. So it is included in um, in um, in a, a multi-level selection. And so this is the reason why I chose multi-level selection. I think that it is the most a comprehensive model, or it's it's the easiest one to to articulate. Mm -hmm. 
And with that in mind, uh, how do you understand morality from an evolutionary perspective? Because this is something we haven't touched on directly yet, but I think it's also important uh, in the context of uh, understanding where preferences come from, right? Right. So you're so you're you're asking how I understand morality, right, mm -hmm. from an evolutionary perspective? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the standard under so I, I'm not I'm not um, coming up with with anything new at this at this level. Um, I'm taking morality as most evolutionary anthropologists take morality. So morality as a social technology that we came up with uh, to enhance our adaptiveness to to make us more adaptive. Um, so. Of course, some people say this this implies that morality is about cooperation, and I do agree. I do I largely agree that morality is, is about cooperation, uh, even though people like Alan Buchanan uh, tend to tend to um, uh, <laughs> criticize the idea that morality is about cooperation because he he would like morality to be something more universal that goes beyond cooperation. Um, I, I have, I, I, I think that, um, I, I don't have a specific theory about that, but in this case, I'm going for the conservative view, which is that, um, what we know is that it is about cooperation. If it is more than cooperation, then that has to be proven, right? I don't mm -hmm. think that, that, um, that was, was shown, uh, at all. So morality is really a way for us to cooperate with one another to uh, enhance our our fitness, our reproductive fitness, to enhance our adaptiveness. Um, so here in in in, the, in this case, groups and morality is important um, as as a cultural uh, phenomenon. Is it is important because it allows us to change our collective behavior. Uh, when the context changes. So imagine that we were uh, only uh, biological creatures that would react um, uh, instinctively and almost in a, in a machine-like way. So mm -hmm. we, would, we, we would, would be almost machines prepared to, to react to, to, um, to stimuli, right? Um, that we that, that we we could adapt to a certain context by 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 doing that but then when the context would change we would have many problems adapting to a new context so morality comes as a way for us to change our collective behavior um without having to discard our our biology our genetic makeup so we can simply adapt to a new context um without Simply having to go, uh, without having to go uh, through a, 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 a heavy process of natural selection to adapt to another context, because that is very costly in terms of fitness. Morality is very useful as a social technology, precisely because it allows us to adapt to new contexts. Mm -hmm. And does morality also shape preferences? Since we talked about preferences earlier, and I mean, since, if I understand it correctly here, we're also talking about um, cultural group selection, because I would imagine that toward the end we'll come back to this topic, but uh, groups who adopt, who adopt liberalism 
uh, as the hegemonic uh, ideology, let's say, uh, would evolution, uh, comparatively speaking, fail evolutionarily in comparison to groups who might adopt other uh, ideologies that are more adaptive, but uh, does morality also play a role in intergroup competition? Um, well, yes, the short answer is, is yes, of course. Morality is the, is the normative dimension of culture, right? So we're talking about cultural evolution here. You're right. So uh, groups with, uh, with that, that have uh, normative standards that are more adaptive will have advantages when competing against other groups. So this is cultural selection, uh, cultural group selection, as, mm -hmm. uh, as we understand it, um, which, by the way, I don't, th I don't think that there is a, 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 a strict separation between cultural group selection and biological group selection, as some people actually like, like to do. Uh, I think it'd be, it's very difficult to separate one, one, one from the other. We have to take both into consideration. Uh, so yeah, but, this... but it's still it's still a complicated debate, at least among, uh, for example, evolutionary biologists who study levels of selection, because in fact there are people out there, like just to give an example, Robert Rivers, who, uh, if you ask him, he tends to agree that cultural group selection is a thing, but not so much biological group selection, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I, I, I know that that's that uh, and, and I think it's Joe Hendricks that also uh, adopts that position. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, to be to be to be honest, uh, if I see it from a, a moral perspective, I think that there that these this, these positions, uh, I see them more as ways to prevent the discomfort that comes from biological group selection. Uh, because there are many ways of understanding biological group selection. It doesn't have to be um, war or conflict or genocide. It can simply be differential birth rates. Um, right. uh, so uh, I do think that uh, uh, many people like to do that, that distinction because it provides some some comfort that it's just culture being selected but of course we know that culture is a, a culture or morality is a social technology to promote adaptiveness right so it has to do there must be something there that is connected to um genetic enhancement uh genetic um uh, propagation mm -hmm. um sure and i and and the very own logic of gene culture coevolution uh um points towards the integration of cultural group selection and um, uh, cultural and biological group selection. Uh, so I, that is, I think, uh, my, my, my view, my, 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 my um, five cents as, as a, a, a political and moral theorist is that I think that some of these positions are um, ways of avoiding uh, some uncomfortable uh, <laughs> um, positions, but, right. but, but, but 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 there may be more to it. So I, I don't want to. This is just this is just the way I, I. I think that morality has a strong impact on how 
we 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 theorize and how far we want to go with our theorization. Mm -hmm. So in the book, still within the the domain of morality, you talk about things like moral types and moral foundations theory. So we can get also into moral foundations theory, even though I've already covered it several times in the on the channel. But what are moral types? Right, uh, moral types. I, I... I took the idea of moral types from Nietzsche. Uh, Nietzsche, uh, as 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 you you probably know, uh, thought that um, our standards of morality are really a reflection of who we are, of our biology, of our our physiology, mm -hmm. right? So if you are weak, uh, you're 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 more likely to adhere to egalitarianism, slave morality. Uh, and so forth. You're more you're more likely to scream for liberty and equality. Um, uh, if you are the, the the strong type, you are more likely to adhere to uh, hierarchy, uh, domination, uh, uh, the the imposition of strength. Um, so this uh, this this of course is and Nietzsche talks about types. That there are types of people. Uh, so when Kant is writing, he's expressing his type. Um, in this case, when Nietzsche is writing, Nietzsche is expressing his type. Um, so the, the, the philosophies of people actually express the types. And I thought this was an interesting way of understanding um, uh, the question of uh, evolution and the question of, 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 of having different types of people operating in in democracies and in markets so in in democracies you may have um different types of people you may have people that are very altruistic uh, they have been selected for that so are they are very much publicly oriented they want the best for for the people uh and then you may have the the the, the self-interested egoists uh, that uh, uh, want uh, essentially to get their way in, with politics and to get the best for for himself or herself, um, then uh, you will have all sorts of, of personalities working within politics. And the, the, the standard view uh, within the public choice um, literature is that we should consider that everyone that operates within politics is a self-interested individual right mm. uh, that we should not we should not think that they are that the people go to politics because they are interested in the public good but because um they are essentially trying to get their own way get their their benefits and some people actually people that defend this position like james buchanan they actually think that um that this is not exactly true that that, that not everyone is uh, a self-interested egoist, um, but that politics uh, has a certain a certain uh, dynamic that will attract those those people. And ultimately, because we want to prevent uh, those people, those those egoists from having power, we should restrict government and have a liberal a liberal system, right? So that's the that's the 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 their view. And so. Uh, even if people are not exactly like that, we should assume that they are like that. And this is uh, uh, an old idea. We can find it in David Hume um, and and others. Uh, 
Um, so, but I think that it is important that we don't deviate from from reality and that there are different types in politics and that there there may be um, common good types, people that go to politics truly motivated by the common good and that are willing to self-sacrifice for the common good, right? In my classes, I, I often give uh, the examples of the kamikaze in Japan, right? People that are willing to self-sacrifice for the good of the group, for the good of their nation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that this, that that these liberal authors are putting liberalism ahead of reality because they want to uh, give priority to liberalism rather than to reality, uh, which may, which is a reason why they uh, often say yes, people are not exactly like that, like egoistic, but we should assume that they are. So we have to restrict government, have a liberal system, etc. I do think that there are there are many problems with that. Those problems will then be reflected in the evolutionary uh, perspective that I'm that I'm talking about. Essentially, I will say that people that um, promote a way of life and that are altruistic and interested in the common good, these people um, are important from an evolutionary perspective to create cohesion. Uh, to create social cohesion in in groups and liberalism um, actually actively actively prevents that mm -hmm. deliberately. Yeah. So um, do you care about or do you in your book care about the distinction made between liberals and conservatives? I mean, do they also correspond in any way to moral types? And do you think that? Politically speaking, that distinction plays any role at all in what you're exploring here. Mm -mm. I guess it, it depends on what we're talking about. Um, liberals and conservatives. Uh, I think there is something to it, but we have to clarify what we're talking about. So, for instance, was Margaret Thatcher a liberal or a conservative? So she brought the, the paradigm, uh, she not only not only she, but, but she brought the paradigm of neoliberalism, right? Mm -hmm. So the name says it all. Uh, was she conservative? Was she a liberal? Um, so when we talk about Ronald Reagan, was he a conservative? But he brought, he also was one of those that brought neoliberalism or, or classical liberalism, as some might say. Uh, when we hear people like Boris Johnson, um, uh, conservative people like Boris Johnson or Angela Merkel, are we are we dealing with conservatives or are we dealing with people that essentially operate on the right side of liberalism, so to speak? Mm -hmm. um, so in that case, I don't think that there is a significant distinction between them. Uh, I think that they are operating within the same paradigm and uh, they do not really reject the main tenets of liberalism, right? Individual liberty, et cetera, et cetera, equality. But if we, if we take conservatism to be uh, a radical critique of liberalism, um, as we, we, find, we find in uh, people like De Master, the, the French uh, political, political theorist, 
in, in, in some ways also in Burke or, or in Carl Schmitt. If we take these, 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 these people to be conservatives, I think then there is uh, there, there, there is something to it. And then these types uh, uh, make sense. It makes sense to talk about uh, liberals and conservatives. Um, but of course, conservatism is a reaction to liberalism. Uh, perhaps uh, we should just talk about uh, liberalism or universalism or individualism versus communitarianism, because this goes way back uh, to classical history, right? Conserva to call it conservatism is a way of saying uh, these people are communitarians and and uh, that are reacting against um, that are reacting against uh, the triumph of of liberalism. They are communitarians of a hierarchical sort. Um, if we want to call them conservatives, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, going all the way back to the main issue explored in the book, or the main issue that you tackle there. Uh, could could you be perhaps more concrete in explaining what is there really about liberalism when it comes to its values and uh, perhaps the impact they have on people's behavior that uh, make it run counter to maximizing fitness and potentially running into an evolutionary limit right right yeah uh, great so that that's we were, were we're getting to um the the, the central point of of the book mm -hmm. um so we for, so an, an important decisive element of reproductive fitness is of course reproduction itself mm -hmm. right so um and we see that in in liberal countries um, we have a very low uh, birth rates um, already for a long long time mm -hmm. and um, and we are living in uh, in some of the perhaps we have never been so wealthy as we are now which means that we are quite bad at converting uh, wealth into uh, reproductive fitness. Um, so this should make people think about the reasons why why that is. Well, there there may be something uh, that is not necessarily liberal to it, uh, which is modernization, um, technology, um, certain ways of of life that are 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 brought to us by technology. But a huge part of it is about liberalism. So uh, one specific example is, um, is for instance, the introduction of women uh, into the marketplace. So there's a, there's a huge correlation between uh, introducing women in the marketplace and especially to education and the, the, the drastic fall of, of, um, of birth rates. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, I think, uh, not not controversial. We know that this that this is a main cause of of what uh, of what is happening. Um, and now, of course, one could say, 
all right, so how can we solve this, this problem? Can we solve this problem uh, using liberalism? Uh, can we solve this problem um, uh, by saying that people should be free to pursue any way of life they want to? And it seems that it will be very difficult to do so. Because if, if, um, if in the West, uh, we continue to promote the idea that every way of life is good, then there is no legitimacy to say that uh, a, a way of life that maximizes fitness is the good life. Mm -hmm. uh, um, there's no legitimate way of, um, of saying that. So liberalism, right. let's, let's imagine that liberalism didn't cause the problem, right? I think that it does to a certain degree, um, but let's imagine that it didn't. It is still not prepared to solve the problem because the moment we, uh, we try to solve the problem, we know that we are most likely leaving the liberal paradigm. We will be talking about ways of life, proper ways of life. We will be talking about uh, who does what in terms of, 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 of uh, reproductive roles. Um, and uh, and I, I, I think that the reason why this problem is not so talked about and, it, and, and politicians try to solve it with, uh, by saying, oh, well, no problem, we just need more immigration or something like that. Um, they, they, uh, they avoid talking about the problem because I think that deep down, they understand that the problem cannot be solved within the liberal paradigm. But the problem is there, right? And so now the question is, uh, will it continue to be like that? And it's fine that it's maladaptive. Uh, and then it will change somehow spontaneously through, uh, I don't know, cultural selection, demographic selection. Uh, or uh, do people in the West want to do something about it? And that mm -hmm. is, I think, uh, one of the biggest challenges of our time. But I don't want to speak too much. Please, Ricardo, <laughs> step in. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, of course. Uh, I, I want to ask you perhaps two or three follow-up questions to that. So do you think that, because, I mean, many times in the political arena, particularly people frame this as sort of a dispute between the West and the so-called rest i mean the they associate liberal democracies with the west and anything that is non-liberal or anti-liberal as the rest of the world so but but do you think that framing things that way makes sense do you think that this is really a case of western values versus non-western values uh. Yes, well, it's true that politicians um, use, they, 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 they made liberalism uh, synonymous with, uh, with the West. Right. Uh, so while in the past we would talk about um, European civilization, now we talk about Western civilization, mm -hmm. right? It seems... That there's something that there was some 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 um, there was some change there. That it seems that European civilization refers to uh, the classical virtues, the classical values that we'll find 
in Aristotle and Plato and uh, in ancient Greece and and uh, in 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 uh, the Roman sphere. Yeah. And it seems that the West is when we discover liberalism, right? Suddenly uh, we are we are the West and we are liberal, and that is our civilization. And it seems that there is a rejection of our European civilization, which was fundamentally communitarian. Uh, and, and then we become individualistic. And politicians, at least judging by their, their rhetoric, they are still very much in love with liberalism. Um, and I think that the reason why uh, we cannot see the problem uh, we could say we cannot see the truck heading towards us. The reason why we cannot see the problem is that we are still in love with liberalism. The strength of liberalism comes from the fact that we are still not uh, entirely disappointed with it. Uh, my guess is that problems will accumulate uh, because something that is maladaptive will bring many problems. Um, uh, and and we will eventually be disappointed. Uh, uh, the, some people say that there are already many signs of this, that there are already protests again, and, and many people talking about post-liberalism and uh, and that the liberalism fail. And there are several books. Uh, Patrick Deneen, for instance, wrote the book Why Why Liberalism Fail uh, Failed Fails. I can't. Not, not sure. <laughs> it's something like that. Um, and uh, and I think it's uh, more and more people uh, talk about uh, post-liberalism and how to live in a world um, where liberalism uh, is gone. It was a, 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 was a, a phase of of European civilization. We call it Western civilization, but it it doesn't have at least I would argue in this book that it doesn't have um, uh, a good, a solid evolutionary um, basis, which means it will give uh, way to something else. And in a way, it is interesting because it forces to think about post-liberalism. What what could come after after liberalism that uh, is more adaptive and sustainable? And I guess that this is part of cultural evolution that we we understand the problems of, of our moral framework and we try to we try to adjust and and come up with something new mm -hmm. so of course the tension here is between liberalism and communitarianism but do you think that it would make sense to focus more on uh, one particular aspect of the the ideology of liberalism and pit it against the its opposite that is individualism versus collectivism do you think it would make sense to reframe or refocus the tension in that way or is that too limited individualism um uh, I'm asking you that also, just to be clear, I'm asking you that also because uh, many times, particularly when uh, psychologists, more specifically cultural psychologists, um, look across different cultures and, for example, they compare the West with 
Eastern Asian countries, many times they talk about uh, individualist versus collectivist societies. And I was wondering if that would be perhaps uh, one of the main focuses of the tension here. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know. I know about those those um, those studies. Um, I'm not entirely satisfied with them, and I'm. I will explain why. Okay. So, for instance, we we'll, we we'll, in in those studies we will get something like um, uh, Nordic countries are highly individualistic, while, for instance, uh, Spain and Portugal are are um, more um, collectivist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I do, I do have some some issues with that from an evolutionary perspective. I think that if we think about it from uh, a multi-level selection uh, point of view, um, I'm not entirely sure that what we see in, uh, for instance, in Scandinavian countries, that what we see what we see there is truly individualism. Um, it seems to me that they are more willing to provide for the common good, um, be, the common good not being just the immediate family, but but the the, the ethnic group or their 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 nation or 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 even Europe if they're more Europeanists. Um, uh, while, for instance, in Portugal or Spain, uh, people are more likely to have a, a more restricted. A, a circle of altruism, say, I favor my family, I favor my family and friends, my co-workers, mm-hmm. and then I don't really care much about, about the rest. And this will be interpreted as a more collectivist mm-hmm. uh, society. Right. I, don't, I don't think, that from, from a multi-level perspective, that this is entirely right. It seems that uh, what we see perhaps in 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 um, in Nordic countries is that they are enlarging their the the notion of their group. So rather than focusing on the close family, they are focusing on their ethnic group, for instance, um, uh, and they are being altruistic towards it. And then people go there and they say, oh, they are much more individualistic because they're not favoring their their kids or their or their cousins or or whatever. I think it's the wrong way of of understanding this. I don't think that they are being individualistic. They are just enlarging the unit of selection, so so to speak. Uh, And that may be actually positive from a group selection uh, perspective because they are strengthening their group at a larger level. Right. So, and I mean, by writing this book, are you also trying to make uh, some sort of predictions because I, I mean, do you think that if uh, liberal societies and uh, non-liberal ones uh, follow these, uh, keep on this track, let's say, do you think that then uh, just by virtue of cultural group selection operating? by itself without anyone necessarily enforcing anything or conquering other societies or something like that, uh, that liberal uh, or the values of liberalism will just uh, disappear in the future. Um, 
Well, if we follow logic, um, if liberal values are truly uh, maladaptive, they will tend to disappear, right, from from a, a cultural selection point of view. Mm -hmm. So that is um, uh, self-evident. Um, so if we follow this logic, uh, we can say that liberalism um, being maladaptive, it, if it is maladaptive, it will disappear. Uh, now, uh, I guess what, you, what, what you're alluding to is something that already touches upon the normative element of what to do. So here we could, we could have two approaches. So we could say, well, let cultural evolution take its, its course. Liberalism will, will, um, will disappear. Uh, when people realize that it doesn't work, it will be too late. Those that embrace liberalism are already extinct, like it happened with so many peoples uh, uh, in, in, in history. Mm. Um, or, from a normative perspective, um, to understand that this is problematic now gives uh, uh, the West or, or, or Europe or, or people, peoples from Europe, um, gives them a way to rethink their path uh, without having to go necessarily extinct, again, if we follow the logic. Um, so, but that is, of course, already um, uh, a no the normative dimension that the book opens up. It is not really part of the book. The book is a diagnosis of the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, of course, <laughs> it's always difficult to predict the future, obviously, but uh, that's why we have models, right? So we have models to predict the weather. Uh, we have models uh, to make airplanes fly. Uh, we have models that uh, will tell us that tomorrow the sun will rise again. Uh, maybe we wouldn't need a model for that, right? Just some, <laughs> some experience. Uh, uh, and I guess that this is this is essentially the same process applied to politics. Um, if we follow logic, it's not that. Of course, I'm not saying that. It's, so uh, David Hume, for instance, famously said that it is a prejudice to think that uh, uh, that to think that the sun will rise tomorrow. We have no evidence that the sun will rise tomorrow, right? But we very we we have very good models that tell us that the sun will rise tomorrow. Questions of logic, etc. So, I, and this is the same process. I cannot one hundred percent. I cannot be one hundred percent sure that this is true. But uh, if we analyze the models carefully, um, I think we can be pretty sure that liberalism um, does not have a future. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, okay, so one last question then, and this one doesn't have necessarily anything directly to do with the book, but uh, anyway, uh, of course, and since we also talked a little bit about morality here, um, whenever one tries to tackle morality from a scientific, in this case evolutionary perspective, uh, this question uh, gets to the table, I guess. So, what do you think about the uh, so-called is-ought distinction? Because, uh, of course, it's two different things. One of them, in this case, is to just simply, for example, describe 
how our morality works, where liberal versus non-liberal values come from, uh, etc. And that's one thing. The other thing is for us to decide if liberal values or non-liberal values are better, which set of them is the superior one. So there's still that distinction. But do you think that in any way is can imply ought or not at all? Good question. That, that opens up a, a, a discussion in metaethics, uh, which is, of course, very relevant for this. this. This book in particular is not about metaethics, but I already have a paper. The paper is called Social Evolution as Moral Truth Tracking in Natural Law. Uh, where I, I talk about um, how um, we should understand the transition from is to ought. Um, so, um, yes, implied in this, in this book uh, is the idea that if something is maladaptive, uh, it has some moral strength. Now, of course, if this is a meta-ethical position, um, I do think that common sense would support this this uh, this position, uh, but I'm not trying to support it with with common sense. So obviously, as a philosopher, I should support it with uh, uh, with philosophical arguments, uh, even though common sense can be a philosophical argument to <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> um, so, I guess it's. From my experience, most people that um, come across uh, my 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 book and my message, uh, they 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 tend to think that they tend to accept that yes, if something is not sustainable, something is maladaptive, there's something wrong with it. Uh, there's something wrong with it because it's not sustainable. It leads to um, to death and to extinction, and for some reason. Uh, we seem to be uh, evolutionary prepared to to ring bells when we think of extinction and death and so, and so forth. Except, of course, for antinatalists, people like David Benatar and so forth. <laughs> uh, um, apart from some peculiar and particular uh, philosophical positions and particular philosophers, apart from those, uh, most people would say, okay, so if this is is a, 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 a recipe for extension, there's something wrong with it. Um, but still, philosophically speaking, we could, we could say that um, just, so, just because something is maladaptive doesn't mean that it is uh, morally flawed, that it is morally problematic. So in this case, if liberalism is, um, if liberalism is maladaptive, that doesn't mean that liberalism is morally flawed. Um, that is not my position. I do think that if something is maladaptive, we have good reasons to think that it is morally flawed. Um, and where do I, where, how do I justify my position? Well, my position in, 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 in metaethics is moral, moral naturalism. Um, and uh, by moral naturalism, I mean um, a type of moral realism, which is naturalistic, obviously, uh, 
um, that uh, that says that uh, uh, nature. So this goes back to Aristotle, obviously, that we can find standards of morality in the regularities of nature. Uh, mm -hmm. Some would call it natural law. Some would call it rules of rules of of nature, uh, whatever. But nature. But but the idea here is that morality is not a product of our minds. So uh, we are not Kantians. Uh, morality is a product of nature. It is beyond ourselves. The best we can do is to grasp it, is to study nature in order to grasp those regularities. Uh, and that is humbling to, to, to a degree because morality is not about, is not, we are not producing morality. We are at best, we are recognizing it and um, and dealing with it uh, in a proper way or not. And that is what I think is cultural selection done properly. It is to recognize uh, the laws of nature in the way nature works and and to uh, be able to recognize where good actions are and where bad actions are. And I think that at the more fundamental level, um, this natural law uh, or a natural evolutionary natural law, you may call it, uh, at the more at the most fundamental level, um, we uh, we are forced or we forced in this in this in this uh, duty based uh, sense to um, to deal with fitness. So to uh, as Nietzsche would say, to affirm life to embrace life, to embrace the standards of nature that we have around us rather than uh, fighting them because we have a different view of what uh, of what we should do. Uh, I don't think we are so important. Uh, I do think that we should recognize uh, the regularities of nature, just like Aristotle would, would tell us. So yes, and I have a, a fun, a more, a, 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 my, my 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 way of understanding this is from a, um, a moral functionalist perspective, mm -hmm. where I do think that everything in nature will have a certain function. And evolutionary biology, despite all that is said about functions, still very much deals with functions. This the heart has this function, uh, uh, the legs have that function, wings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I think that it is relatively easy to understand functions in nature, and if you are a moral fun, uh, moral um, functionalist, it's it's quite it's simple to go from is to ought. It is not so different. So different. Um, you 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 have a problem uh, when uh, you are not a, a a moral naturalist. Then you have a problem. Then you think that the is is always separated from the ought. Um, or, or at least, uh, or, um, as a basis, uh, but that is not my case. I do think that uh, that uh, that is not problematic at all. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if your thesis about the evolutionary limits of liberalism is correct, and if people accept uh, the metaethical stance you've just described, then uh, in that case, would liberalism be morally flawed or even immoral? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, of course, uh, we have to be careful about about saying this because uh, we can say yes uh, um, in a very general sense. It does mean that everything we do within liberalism is immoral. So we have to we have to. Uh, um, separate uh, these. So the the answer I said yes, but the answer is is much more nuanced. Obviously, um, uh, uh, so the, 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 what what we could say is that everything about liberalism that leads to maladaptive behaviors uh, is morally flawed. So let's put it like this, because it sounds <laughs> it sounds uh, a more more sophisticated. But but yeah, in a nutshell, uh, liberalism has many uh, flawed uh, dimensions at the moral level. Yeah, sure. Okay, so the book is again, The Evolutionary Limits of Liberalism, Democratic Problems, Market Solutions, and the Ethics of Preference Satisfaction. I will be leaving a link to it in the description box of the interview and also a link to our first talk. So, Dr. Nobrefaria, just before we go apart from the book, would you like to tell people where they can find you and your work on the internet? Uh, sure. Uh, you can just uh, Google my name and you will find me at, um, at Ifilnova, um, which is uh, my research center and my university. And over there I have uh, my, my publications. It is still being updated, but most of my publications are there. So um, yes, that's the best place to find. Uh, that's the best place to find my my work. Okay, great. So thank you so much again for taking the time to come on the uh, to come on the show. As I said at the beginning, the book is a great read. So I hope everyone runs and buys it when the interview is out. And uh, it's always a pleasure to everyone. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for, for inviting me and um, I hope to talk to you soon. Hi guys, thank you for watching this interview until the end. If you like what I'm doing and to keep the channel sustainable, please consider supporting me on Patreon or PayPal. All of the links are in the description box of this interview. Otherwise, and if you like what I'm doing, please share it, leave a like and hit the subscription button. This show is brought to you by Enlights, learning and development done differently. Check the website at enlights.com. I would also like to give a huge thank you to my main patrons and PayPal supporters, Karen Litzke and Blanchett, Perga Larson, Lau Guerrero, Francis Ford, Hans Frederick Sunda, Ricardo Vladimiro, Craig Healy, Adam Castle, Olaf Alex, Jonathan Wiesel, Jacob Klinkby, Matthew Whittingberg, Arno Wolf, Tim Hollis, Ian Riccalania, John Connors, Paulina Barron, Philip Force Connolly, Jerry Mueller, Herbert Gintis, Ruth Gervoz, Wo Wine, Gardner Beckenberger, Goldstein, Dan Demetri, Robert Windegar, Rui Narcio, Arthur Coe, Zuc, Mark Neves, Colin Holbrook, Susan Pinker, Bernardo Seixas, Pablo Santurbano, Simon Columbus, George Pinha, Phil Cavana, Corey Clark, Mark Blythe, Roberto Inguanzo, Michael Stormir, Eric Neumann, Samuel Andreev, Tiago Nunes, Bernadini, Alexander Dunbauer, Fergal Cusson, Ivan Bodrin, Kuala Herzog, Don Ross, Jonathan Leibrandt, Aslan Bullet, Nathan Nguyen, Stanton T, Samuel Correa, Eric Hines, Mark Smith, JW, João Oira, Tom Hamel, David Sloan Wilson, Yasila Dejda Araujo, Romain Roach, Dermitri Gregoriev, Diego Londonio Correa, Tom Roth, Yannick Punter, Adana Rosmani, Charlotte Bliss, Nicole Barbaro, Adam Hunt, Pavlos Stasevsky, Nelek Bach, Catherine and Patrick Tobin, Al Ortiz, Guy Madison, 
Gary G. Hellman, João Linhares, Lida Cosmidi, Saima Afzal, Adrian Gage, Nick Golden, Paulo Tolentino, João Barbosa, Jules Price, Edward Hall, Edin Bronner, Franca Bortolotti, Gabriel Pons Cortez, Ursula Litzke, Dennis Cook, Scott, Zachary Fish, Tim Duffy, Todd Shackleford, Sunny Smith and John Wisman, my producers Isar Webb, Jim Frank, Lucas Tafiniak, Luis Caetano, Tom Wagner, Dan Curtis Dixon, John Linares, Benedict Mueller, Vega Guidi, Sardas Francis, Thomas Trumbull and Nuno Welder, and my executive producers Michel Rugieski, Rosie, James Pratt, Matthew Lavender, Sergio Quadriano and Bogdan Canivets. Thank you for all.